Father, this evening, once again, we come to you. We thank you, Father. We thank you. In spite of it all, you still enabled us to come into your house. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we pray that your spirit will enable us to be still in your presence. We put aside everything that concerns life. For we have come to the very source of life. You, Lord, you. The entrance of your word brings life and light. Speak to us, teach us, teach us, Lord. Wednesdays, Lord, we come for to be taught of you. So teach us this evening. Teach us. Give us that heart of a student, the heart of a disciple, to sit at the master's feet, to hear, to believe, to understand. Help us, Lord. We just surrender, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We continue. Okay, continue. If you've been there preceding weeks and the preceding months and the preceding years, you will understand better. Because it's a continuation. Some of the things will be very, very familiar. But as we continue to hear it, we understand more. That's something that happens with me. So I believe it happens with each one of us. That even the familiar portions, when I go back and keep studying, I understand it better. Because the word of God is as deep as God himself. So first we'll look at two verses and then continue on the two covenants. Like I said, much of what we hear will be familiar, but we'll keep on hearing. First we turn to John chapter 1 and verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, Keep that at the back of your minds. The two covenants, the old covenant that came through Moses and the new covenant that came through Jesus, spectacularly different. Both was glorious, but the glory of the new is much, much, much greater than the old. In Romans chapter 5 and verses 20 to 21, scripture talks about these two covenants. 5. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded or increased, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to read it to this to understand how these two worked differently. How the old covenant worked differently. The effect of the old covenant and the effect of the new covenant. Because the problem is misunderstanding of scripture or misinterpretation of scripture can be very dangerous can be very dangerous. Okay? Because there are two righteousness that is possible. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 and 22, and then later we look at one more scripture. Okay? 20. Yeah. Chapter 3, verses 20 to 22. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
Okay, remember a new covenant that was started when the law came through Moses. No flesh is justified by that law. Why? For now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference. The righteousness by keeping the law is called my righteousness. Because it is worked out by my strength then there is a righteousness which is apart from the law, which is the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Okay? In Philippians 3, 9, Paul makes this very clear distinction. In Philippians 3 and verse 9. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Okay? He's not talking about a righteousness which is of his own creation. No, he says, my own righteousness, which is of the law. He says, that's not that I want. But that is which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So two kinds of righteousness is available to man. Every man. The righteousness that comes through the law, which is basically religion, and righteousness that is of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So please understand. So there is this righteousness which can come by keeping the law. That's what he himself, we know from the book of Philippians, he says when it came to that righteousness, he was perfect. He was blameless. What does that mean? It means this is a righteousness or this is a law which we can keep outwardly and outwardly according to that law you can be blameless okay let me explain to you in terms which we understand okay let's look in simple terms as of driving because we all drove and came through the traffic sajid is my driver okay he's been there for years and years he's an excellent driver Excellent driver. Outwardly, if you're standing on the road and watching him drive or following him in another car, you will see it's fantastic. Even here, he will keep to the right side of the law always. Sometimes I want to ask him, why don't you just cut through like others? He won't. He sticks to the law. But if you're sitting with inside, you will see it's a perfect driver, but anybody touches the car, he wants to kill them. I have to tell him, Sajid, leave it alone, leave it alone. It's just a car, it's just a scratch. It doesn't matter. Just get in, just get in. And I tell him, my God died for people and not for things. So Sajid, get in. So you need to understand, under the law, I can have a righteousness which is perfect outside. Outside. The law doesn't help me. It only gives me instructions. If I am a good student, I can outwardly keep the law, but not inwardly. Okay? Now understand what Paul is talking about and where he is coming from. Because we looked at the first portion we read from Romans 5, 20 and 21. Look at another case scenario where imagine a man is a serial thief. 
The law will condemn him if he is caught. If he is caught, that's why I am telling you is this is how people misinterpret and misunderstand the law and grace. If the law catches this thief, it will condemn him and put him in prison. But the law also can, though he is a thief, the law also can keep him in bounds. Like if you have enough cops on the road and patrolling and CCTV cameras and everything. Though he is a serial thief and he wants to thief, he looks at it and he keeps his thiefing habits to himself. So the law, if it catches you, will condemn you. The law, the fear of the law also will keep you within bounds. But supposing there is a breakdown of law. All the cops are called out for some duty and the CCTV cameras are also off. There are no policemen watching. Suddenly he realizes there is no law to check me or to watch me. And he has a field day. Okay, He will steal as much as he can. Now that is how today so many people have interpreted 20. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. That it is as if the age of grace is an age of breakdown of law. That's how they interpret and how they counsel. They say it doesn't matter, we are living under the age of grace. So what you couldn't even get away under the time of law, you can get away now. You can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. And Paul didn't start yesterday or today. This started, this misapplication of scripture started happening from the apostolic age and it made Paul mad. Okay? And the Holy Spirit definitely mad because it was written in scripture. So Romans 6 verses 1 and 2, he will say, Paul will say over there, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? This is what I said. How we are seduced. The seduction. What does it mean to be under grace? You can be under only one thing at a time. You can't be under law and grace. Either you are under law or you are under grace. If you are under law then you work under the terms of the law. Either you are condemned by the law or you are kept under the boundaries of the law simply by the fear of punishment. But if you are under grace, you are not under the law. Which means there is no need for the law. That's what it means. There is no need for a cop. There is no need for CCTV cameras. There is no need because you are dead to the law. Therefore you are dead to sin. That's what it means. Meaning grace works within. Law can only work outside. Law can stop a man from stealing or it can condemn the one who stole. But grace deals with the inside that is covetousness that causes a man to steal. And there is no covetousness. It is taken away. That is what scripture says Jesus brought. He did not bring law. But he brought grace and truth. And that's what Romans 8, 1 and 2 means. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 says, 
8 verses 1 and 2 there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus not under the law there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus but understand those who are in Christ Jesus are not just sleeping they walk there is an action associated with those who are in Christ Jesus they walk they do not walk according to the flesh walks according to the law okay the law works only with flesh the law doesn't work with a man who is dead to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is called truth and grace is called grace and truth what is the law of the spirit of life it is simply what jesus brought he came with grace and it with truth all the ancients we looked at it a few weeks back all the ancients in the old testament searched for this and saw this coming in the scriptures they longed for it only the only the saints in the old testament not everybody in the old testament or everybody in the new testament searches for this only few but they knew it was reserved for us they knew a day was coming that's what peter talks about in first peter chapter 1 verse 10 and 12 what the saints of the, the prophets the ancients saw of this salvation this salvation our salvation not their salvation they were also saved we were also saved but their salvation was different from our salvation they could be saved only outwardly they could not be saved inwardly they wanted to be saved inwardly and they knew that promises were all there in the bible and they looked and they knew a day was coming of this salvation is the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of what of the grace that would come to you that grace would come to us the power of the holy spirit would come to us searching what or what manner of time the spirit of christ to us in them the spirit of christ was working in them too and showing showing yes there is a future even specified by time when this will come to pass and the salvation which you are longing for you won't get it but a generation will have it was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow that through Christ it would be possible even david knew this david knew this he david was not a man who was just under the law he knew a time would come and he would longed for it in psalm 51 and verse 6 this is what he he understands and his cry is for psalm 51 verse 6 what does he say god what does god look for for truth in the in behold you desire truth in the inward parts you're not looking at people who keep the outward law you are looking for truth in the inward parts okay remember this psalm what this psalm is about okay let me explain to you this man what is actually happening outwardly 
outwardly. Only a small set of very loyal, faithful people to him knew what had happened. Everybody didn't know. What had happened in the palace, nobody knew. Just a small coterie of very faithful people. To the rest of the nation, almost all the people of Israel, David looked like a very noble man. One of his faithful soldiers, Uriah, had died in battle. And in his kindness, he had taken the widow of this noble man who died for him as his wife. That's how the nation saw. David knew the truth was different. David knew the truth was something else. Outward reality and inward reality never matched. Therefore, this is his struggle. Lord, I know. Outwardly, if it is the perception of what people think about me, I'm fine. Everybody thinks, what a nice man, what a great man. He's been such a kind man. He saw his loyal follower died and in his kindness he's taken his widow to be his wife. Every one of the saints in the Old Testament struggled with this, this inward reality. They knew that is what God wanted. But it was not the age of grace. Grace hadn't come. So they longed for it but they could never have it. And finally, the cry of all these saints put together is echoed by Apostle Paul. In Romans 7, verses 22 onwards, 22 to 25. Have you reached there? Is it working? Okay, let me read. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I will have to read from NIV, okay? Because that's the one I brought. For I find this law at work. Okay. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death. This is the story of an old covenant saint. Inside is one reality, outside is one reality. Lord, when can these two become one? When can I become one person where what is inside and what is outside tallies? Wretched man I am. Inside I know you look for truth. And inside I rejoice in the truth because the law is not lying. It is holy. It is true. But outside this body of flesh is there, it will never allow me to keep it. However I go, it will make me stumble. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Doesn't stop there. And verse 25 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, rescue is there. Who has come? In Christ, I can be rescued from this double life. Who will answer Christ Jesus? He was a man who was not satisfied with the righteousness that comes from the law. This is the gospel. The gospel of grace. 
That is why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The whole problem is, most people don't. They are satisfied even now with the righteousness that comes from the law. I'm keeping it outwardly. Their inward struggles don't bother them at all. Because they haven't understood the difference between the two covenants. Two covenants. This will happen only when we are tired of seeking the righteousness that comes from keeping the law. When we are tired of the righteousness that comes from keeping the law. What does it mean? To many, the outward mean more than the inward. Like, they look at you and they'll say, Wow, Sarah, you go to Sunday every day? Yeah. You're in the worship team also? Yes. You go on Wednesdays too? Yes. Fasting, prayer, never miss. They say, Wow, you're a really spiritual girl. You don't take part in anything in the college. You don't take part in anything in your offices. Boy, you dress so modestly and you feel so good. And then after some time, you start believing, I'm good, though inwardly there are so many struggles which have never ceased. The danger, the danger. You see, the new covenant, nothing of the outward thing should bring us consolation unless the inward matches. Unless the inward matches. And the inward should keep on matching. Therefore the hearing of the word of God keeps on increasing our faith. If you don't, if you send a child to class one and pull him out after class one and tell him that's all education is, he'll be very happy. What does, what did you learn? A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. Until he meets somebody who's gone to class two. Then you realize there is more to it. So if you are stuck in a setting where only the milk of the word is preached, it's fine. You don't don't get challenged. God loves you. He died for you. Believe in him. You're forgiven. Live the way you like. Just go to church regularly. Die, go to heaven. You're fine. Until you hear, okay, that was the problem with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is absolutely comfortable because he said, Incredibly righteous man under the law until he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, he was very uncomfortable. And I personally believe Apostle Paul was very comfortable until he saw Stephen die. When he saw Stephen die, he realized this man's inside and outside is one. Okay. Inside and outside is one. Okay. This is what we need to understand. This is the gospel. You see, sin has works. And the fruit of that works is death. Grace also has works. And the fruit of that works is righteousness. That's what Romans 5.21 says. Both has works. Flesh has works. Grace has works. So that sin reigned in death even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Both has works. One works unto death, 
the other works unto righteousness unto righteousness and more righteousness it is a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ Jesus from the beginning till the end allowing him to work it will always this righteousness that comes from grace will always demand every day the death of one person either i die and you die and he lives or he dies he he dies and we live every day it demands death if i live he dies then without realizing automatically i come under the law and the judgments of the law if he lives and i die the law is dead the law is dead and grace takes over grace takes over that's how it works that is why paul says i die daily what does it mean he says i die to my flesh i die to my flesh now when we use the term flesh especially those who are used to kjv and nkjv you know it uses interchangeably but doesn't mean the same always okay flesh and the body are not the same flesh and body are not the same flesh is that adamic nature the nature of the fallen man body is the vessel through which the flesh acts okay grace is the power of the holy spirit truth is what god speaks to the heart and when we act on it it is the same body through which it is also acted out the vessel is the same the body is the same to act in the flesh i have to surrender my body and the instruments of body unto unrighteousness to act under grace and truth unto righteousness i have to surrender the same body okay so don't confuse flesh and the body flesh is that fallen nature before salvation before i will use myself as example before i am saved or you are saved there was only one person the fallen man or the fallen woman whom we call i me self look chapter 9 and verse 23 okay take these scriptures carefully because jesus says this then he said to them all if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself so he says he has to deny himself for if i deny myself who is left if you deny yourself who is left take up his cross daily and follow me lord it's confusing i have to deny myself yet i have to follow you i have to deny myself yet that doesn't mean i'm lying on my bed hands and legs all tied up i have denied myself no he says now you have to get up and you have to follow me so it's not the body it is the flesh the flesh is denied the flesh is the one that is crucified to the cross yet now christ is allowed in his will is allowed in his truth is allowed in and he says now you pick up your body and let your body follow me when that happens i am not living you are not living it's christ who lives it's a daily thing jesus is talking about that man when he says deny yourself he's talking about that old man 
very seriously talking about the old man. And we must take these scriptures very seriously. Very. Jesus is very serious in every gospel he talks about it. All four gospels consistent. I'm not giving all the references, but three more. Matthew 10 and verse 38. Matthew 10. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Why? Cross. If he says, he who does not follow me is not worthy of me, he doesn't say that. He says, only those who do not take their cross and follow me is accepted because this is the instrument on which self dies. Everybody is willing to follow Jesus if you take the cross out. He says, I'm not talking about that kind of people at all. I'm not interested in them. If you want to be worthy of me, there is one thing I will demand you carry with you daily. That's your cross on which your flesh dies. Mark 8, 34. When he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever decides to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Consistent. To the disciples, to the crowd. He says, I see all your enthusiasm. I, I, I love it. I, I, I like the fact that you want to follow me. But let me tell you, if you want to follow me, there's only one way you can follow me. There's something which you need to carry daily. You cannot follow me. You have to die to yourself. Then only you can follow me. In Luke 14 and verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. We take this out of the new covenant. The new covenant has fallen on its ground and we live under the terms of the old covenant. In the new covenant there is no room for self. Then only grace works. In the old covenant there is room for self. Because it's just an outward life. There is no inward reality. And they are miserable. Miserable people. Discouraged, depressed people. Doesn't matter who it is. Whether it is Abraham at 100 with his wife pregnant. With the promised seed will still tell Abimelech. Oh, she's my sister. Elijah will be so depressed and say I'm no better than my. After all the anointing and the power I just want to die. David or Solomon, you pick anybody in the old covenant. You don't see anybody who could overcome. That inward reality was never there like we can have in the new covenant. But problem is we take these scriptures out and preach a gospel where that gospel has no meaning. It has no power. While gospel has power. But gospel loses its power because we take that ingredient that causes power. That is the cross. Like Simple examples, okay? Say you are a semi-literate, ignorant person. You go to your doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription and says all that. And you look at it, you have four tablets. And you go home and you look at the tablets and you decide, oh, do I have to eat all four? Three is enough. You make your choice. You eat three tablets. One week later, nothing has changed. You go back to the doctor and the doctor asks, what happened? Did you take my medication? He said, yes. Did you eat it? Yes, I did. Did you eat it all? Uh, only one. I took all the good ones. You look at it, it says, which are the ones you ate? No, this big one capsule, yellow and black. 
He said, yeah, but that is B complex. Oh, okay. And this one, this one, well, that's just antacid. And this big white one also I ate. He said, that was vitamin C. And what about this one? No, I didn't eat. He said, that was the antibiotic. It's a problem. We eat everything except this. And God says, the gospel has lost its power in your life. There's no power in your life. That's where the power comes. You take this out and Paul will say in the book of Philippians, with tears I'm telling you, brethren, I will come back to that at the end. He says, they're enemies of the cross. Who is talking about? He's talking about preachers of the new covenant gospel are actually enemies of the cross. But if you take the cross out, the gospel has no meaning. In the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, before the fall, were absolutely, totally free. Even though the devil and all the powers of darkness are still around. Devil is also around in the garden, personally present. But they are absolutely free. Because the powers of darkness had no power over there, over them because their flesh was dead. But no power. But when they obeyed the voice of the devil, the flesh came alive. Along with the knowledge of evil. Sin was conceived. Death came to reign from Adam onwards, started to reign. What does it mean? Temptations are effective only because our flesh is alive. Where there is no flesh, the devil can do nothing. Jesus did not just come to forgive us of the sins of the flesh. That's what I've also believed for years. He just came to forgive. But to put to death the works of the flesh. The devil knows very well the limits of his power. Where flesh is dead, he has no power. Jesus himself said, the ruler of this world, Prince Devil, has come. But he found nothing in me. Why? Because he was dead in his flesh. To his self-will. Alive only to the will of his father. Therefore the devil had no access point. So what does it mean to us? Bible study, prayer, fasting, all are good. But they are only tools. They are only tools. But they will be all of no use. If you don't use these tools to keep growing in the Lord and put to death the works of the flesh. If you don't, at the most, we are only on par with an Old Testament saint. Every prayer meeting is a blessing. But the blessings are usually, usually lost within the first 15 to 20 minutes because of uncrucified flesh. Every meeting is a blessing. The demons are waiting to provoke or to tempt. Always looking for open doors. He will either try to provoke you or he will try to make you covet. Okay? Even Jesus. Luke chapter 4 verses 5 to 7. 
the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the devil said to him all this authority i will give you and the glory for this has been delivered unto me and i give it to whomever i wish therefore if you will worship before me all this will be yours temptation we know first he is hungry he says you can make these stones into bread then he shows him all the glory after which people are after a name or reputation pat on the back how great the art all this we want to hear i can offer it all to you on the platter everything i can give it to you all you have to do is worship me he tried to make jesus covet but it was of no effect because jesus was absolutely dead in the flesh this doesn't stop finally he realized i cannot get this man to to be tempted long for something or covet for something let me try to provoke him so that's the final on the cross come down if you are the son of god it's provocation from everywhere bottom right side left side every side provocation from the flesh come down come down come down he refused to be provoked yet he is living the life of the spirit father forgive them they don't know what they are doing everything is happening prayer is happening here uh, salvation is happening okay you shall be with me in paradise today uh, responsibility is happening okay mom here is your son son here is your mom take care of everything is happening no provocation of the flesh at all absolutely clean in the midst of that pain because flesh is dead body is hurting flesh is not the problem is we say i gave it back to him so nicely because he hurt me no your flesh was provoked not because he hurt you flesh was provoked he was hurt in his body unbearable pain by this set of people but his flesh is not provoked flesh is not provoked okay we you and i we need to have the discernment just like the apostles had clear discernment they could not be tempted they could not be provoked because they dis- understood you could die to the flesh under this new covenant and live in the spirit acts chapter 36 and peter said silver and gold i do not have silver and gold I do not I I want this to show because that's how every pastors conference everywhere at least 10 of them will come and say yeah, yeah I have no money. They also started like that. They said we have no money. We have no money. Acts 57. Uh 5 yeah 5 5 uh 3 and 4. 3 and 4 not 7 5 3 and 4. Peter said to Ananias, "Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God." First statement he makes earlier is his silver and gold we do not have. Second statement connected with silver and gold and huge chunk has been put at his feet and he doesn't want it. because the way you brought it your heart is not outwardly you're looking good but i know your heart is not right with god i don't want your money 
I don't want your money. I don't want your money. Today, who will say that? You will say, keep going. Alda, alda, dalda, dalda. No, he says, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. Consistent. What I'm talking about, their death to the flesh when you study scripture is consistent. It's not one time. It's consistent. Acts chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. Acts chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostle's hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered the money. Yeah, you have power. I'll give you an offering. Can you also give me that power? Lay hands upon me so that when I lay hands upon also, people will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saying, give me this power also that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. He says, take your money, run away from here. I don't want your money. You need to realize, a lot of people still do this. Yeah, put your hands over my head and pray and then they will give you an offering. What do they want? They pray for so that some of your anointing will flow on them and they can take that anointing and use it in their meetings and in the process they give you an offering. Peter said, I don't want your offering. You can get away from here. Consistent. There's a consistency you see in their lives that should be shocking us and also putting us to shame. Consistently dying to the flesh. That's why we have to be aware of the tactics of the devil. What are the tactics of the devil? He looks at men and women who are dying to the flesh and Christ is living. He will use everything to bring that flesh back to life. Either through covetousness, through temptation or through provocation. Try to get that flesh out because he knows if he can get you to react under the flesh, you go under the law. If you go under the law, he has power. Because minute you come under law, death comes in and he has power over death. He wants you to come under. Okay. Look at how subtle he is. Acts chapter 16. Verses 16 to 18. Acts chapter 16. Now this is Paul. Now it happened as we went to prayer. Where is this happening? It's happening in Philippi. Every day Paul goes to this house to pray. And when Paul and Silas goes to pray, there was a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Understand. That's why scripture says, understand the wiles, the tactics of the devil. Okay. Now, in most cases, if you were a devil, you are not, but you were a devil, you would say, like, keep quiet. Don't draw any attention. These are dangerous. These are God's people. Let them go. But that's not what happens. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Wow. Did you see? Absolutely on the word. This demon is using the body of this girl and her mouth to speak the absolute truth about Paul and Silas, hoping it will touch their flesh and they will start. Yeah, that's what we are. Servants of the Most High God. Yeah. Even demons acknowledge who I am. No reaction from Paul at all. 
this this year yeah serve over most and this she did for many days many days she did no reaction from paul silas flesh is dead then finally when it came to an intolerable limit greatly annoyed and said to the spirit not to the girl understand it's a demon spirit i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her and he came out that very hour i take you by your word we are servants of the most high god we show you the way of salvation but salvation is for the girl and not for you you get out let her be saved She is saved. Paul was not fooled. The devil failed. And now will come provocation. When the devil could not tempt them to pride, congratulate self, comes to provocation. Verse 23 to 25. And when they had laid many stripes and they created a commotion in the city. They laid many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. Everything to provoke them. Beaten them, stripped them, locked them up. Verse 25. But at the midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. They still refuse to be provoked in the flesh. They said, no. You can try whatever you want. What we are going to do is we are going to worship. We are going to worship. We know your tactics. We understand. He want us to get mad. He want us to get angry. No, I'm not. We are not. We are going to sing. We are going to worship. And God is going to intervene. Why? This flesh is dead. And this body is not dead. This body has been given over to the will of God. So when we give it, he can choose whatever to do with this body. We have no issues. We will do one thing with this body. We will worship. Then we will pray for all these people who are around. Are you getting the picture? How the enemy works? That's why scripture warns us. We have to be careful. God wants to use every child of his for his glory. But. There's a stumbling block. That is the flesh. And if flesh is king. Scripture wants. You and I will be disqualified. Or two. You and I could be a temporary instrument. Or three. You and I could be like a tout. You know tout? If the fellow you see at the bus stop. Private bus stop, not government, private bus stand. You know, you will see them and say, Karim Nagar, Karim Nagar, Karim Nagar, Karim Nagar, Karim Nagar, Ram Gundam, Ram Gundam, Ram Gundam, Ram Gundam. He will invite every passenger into every bus, but he himself never travels. He himself never travels. So either we can get disqualified, we can be temporarily used for a season, or just be a doubt in the kingdom. And that's what Paul is talking about in First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. He says, I don't want to be that. I don't want, I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have priests to others, invited, come in, come in, come in, come in, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, free, 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 come in, come in. I myself is disqualified because I could never overcome my flesh which was available. Understand that. The powers of darkness are spirit beings. They see what you and I cannot see. 
they can tell the spiritual level of every person. That's why they said to the sons of Skiva, Jesus we know, Paul also, we know them. <laughs> Dead completely. But you also we know. You also we know. So it doesn't matter what name we give ourselves, right reverend, wrong reverend, it doesn't matter. They know us. They know us. Okay, They know us because nothing is hidden in the spiritual realm. The human life, somebody said, is like a huge mansion, a house with many rooms. Whichever area of our life we submit to the devil, he happily uses it. Therefore, it is a daily battle. If we learn to fight, it will become easier as it goes. Not tougher. It gets easier as it goes. In Galatians 5 and verse 24, scripture says, and those who are Christ, those who are, okay, that's Christ. You know, when you go to a company, no, companies also have shareholders. But the company's name is given by the one who owns 51%, not 49%. I may hold 49% of the company, but my name won't come into the company. It goes to the fellow who owns 51 that is called majority stake. Those who are Christ. Does he have control? That is why the gospel is also the gospel not only of salvation but also of lordship. Those who are Christ have crucified, not the body. The crazy guys in Latin America and Philippines and all during Good Friday they go on the cross and crucify themselves. What's the whole point? That is a work of demonic work of the flesh. You don't have to crucify your body. You crucify your flesh. It's a spiritual act with its passions and, and its desires. Its passions and its desires. So understanding is important. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Matthew 1 and verse 21, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from there. You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Don't worry. Jesus will handle sin. If you're worried about whether I will get forgiveness from sin and all, don't worry. Sin can be handled. Go to Jesus. Repent. He will forgive. John 16 verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the... Don't worry about the world also. I have overcome the world. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not you from him, but he from you. He can overcome the devil also. But when it comes to the flesh, no promises like that. You and I need to fight that battle. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Galatians 5.16 Oops. The brilliance of salvation is seen on the screen. (laughs) 5.16 I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not shall not walk in the spirit. Who walks? You and I. The honest is on us. Walk 
Power is available from that side. The walk is yours and mine. Walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.24, the one we read earlier. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Who crucifies? You and I, we do it. Galatians 6 and verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Who sows? We, not he, we. But he who sows to the spirit, who sows? Will reap everlasting life. The honor is on us. Power is his. Way is his. Truth is shown. All that is shown. But the honor is because God will not mess up or interfere with our free will to choose. So understand, the law was made for the flesh. But the law cannot kill the flesh. can only keep it under check maximum. But grace is given to put to death the flesh. Law cannot kill flesh, but grace can. Are you getting the picture? But a believer should be careful. Because now we are not talking about those milk Babies, we are talking about those who have grown. Believers can be subtly tricked by the devil. You can begin by faith in the spirit. We believe Jesus for our salvation. None of our works. By grace, we are saved through faith. Now scripture says, when I believed for my salvation, I had to die to all my opinions and believe only what he said and only in his work and obey. So salvation also was a result of death to self and faith in God and in what he has said. Right? And scripture says, from there till the end, it is the same. It's no different from faith to faith to faith. There is no room for self here in the work of salvation. You have to die to self and Christ lives and Christ, there are works, but Christ works through you. Instead, quietly we slip into a new law and rejoice in it and put our faith in it. So, why are you so sure if Jesus comes today, you will go to heaven and you will get your crowns? 2017, I have never missed a Sunday. I never missed a, missed a Wednesday too. I was there for every meeting and I read my Bible daily and I pray too. problem. We have started putting our faith in our works. Yet the purpose of all these activities was that our spirit would be fed and we would put to death in increasing manner the works of the flesh. That is where our assurance comes. Why do you know you will get a crowd? Because I no longer live. And Christ Jesus lives and he is always crowned with many crowns. That's where my assurance come from. That we should be able to say. Paul, we read Paul saying it, I have finished my, run my race, finished my faith, kept the faith. But before that, what does he say? My entire life is poured out as a drink offering. That's where my assurance come. It is not my life. It is his life I have lived as an offering. Therefore, my assurance comes because Christ is always crowned. Do you see the subtlety in which we slowly, 
All the things we do are good. Nothing of that is bad. But the purpose of it that is should be should increase in faith, increase in faith, increase in faith. And what happens when we increase in faith? We know now very well from Romans 14.23. If you are condemned by your eating, if it is not from faith, that even such a small, little, regular, normal day activity has become an activity of faith and not of the flesh. And whatever is not of faith, Now suddenly you realize everything is an act of faith. Nothing is an act of sight. Everything is coming and increasing, increasing, increasing. And the assurance of what? Not of your salvation. That we are saved by his work. But you are being saved to the uttermost. Okay. What does it mean? It means by the time you finish, I finish, we finish, like Paul finishes, 100% of the flesh should be dead. There is nothing left. Only Christ is left. 100% assurance we have, not about our salvation, but about our crown. That is the purpose of all these activities. The purpose of grace is not just to save us from the penalty of sin. But from the very power of sin, and not only just from the power of sin, but to see that we abound in the works of grace. All this has to happen. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verses 8 to 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things. There is no condemnation about sin. There is no power of sin over your life. More than that, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What does that mean? God says this is what grace means. As you grow in faith, your utility in God's hand should increase. Becoming more and more and more and more increasingly used by God. Increasingly. That's all three are part of the work of grace. One, penalty of sin, don't worry. Power of sin is broken. That alone is not. You are abounding. Because he is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you may have an abundance for every good work he is calling you to. Because that's also part of salvation. Doesn't it say in Ephesians 2.10? Saved unto good works. Which God had created for us even before the foundation of the world was laid. All is part of grace. So understand. This should be the norm for a believer in the new covenant. If we are not fooled by false gospels. If the flesh cannot get us to a sinful lifestyle. Fall, get up, fall, get up, fall, get up, showing no victory. Then, if you're overcoming that, then the flesh will, enemy will slowly set us back under the law by putting your faith in these works without understanding each of these works should leading us further and further in Christ. More and more usefulness. That's the difference between Moses and Jesus. John chapter 17. One, sorry, John 1 17. Law came through Moses. Grace came through Jesus Christ. Law never sets anybody free. 
not even Moses was set free by the law he brought. Why? What does law do? Law does something. In Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. For scarcely, the 7, 7, not 5, 7, 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is law sin? Certainly not. Law is not sin. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. You get it? Example ritual. Until the helmet rule came in, nobody was bothered. Everybody ran sinless. No problem. Then the rule came, helmet compulsory. After that, when people without a helmet see a policeman, they're going in the other direction. Why? Because when the law came, what was awakened? Sin was awakened. Law is good. It was for the protection of your head. But when law came in, you want to be headless. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Until, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, thou shall not covet. When the law said, thou shall not covet, that's when I realized, ah, I am coveting. Before that, you did not know, you were coveting, but you did not know you were coveting. Law doesn't help anybody. Jesus did not come with law. He came with truth. He came with grace and truth. Truth itself won't set you and me free. No, it doesn't have the power. It is grace that gives us the power to keep the truth that can set us free. So you need to realize, that's what Jesus is talking about, the two men who are praying. There's a man who is standing there and praying, Lord, I have kept, I have kept, I have kept, I have kept. I'm not even like that, that guy, okay? I'm good, I'm good, I'm, everything he says is true. But he's a prisoner inside. So God cannot set him free. God cannot set him free. He says you are looking only at the outward. Before the priest who is sitting there with your lamb, you sound so good. But I know you are inside. But the other guy is not even able to look up. And he says, Lord have mercy on me. And God says, you go, justified. Now he is only going justified from the penalty of sin. He keeps on coming back. He still can be forgiven. As long as he comes back. But that doesn't mean he has understood what grace is. The purpose of the law, scripture says, the only purpose was to bring us to Christ. Bring us to Christ. But this is not going to happen to those who are satisfied with the outward keeping of the law. Anybody who is happy with the outside keeping of the law will never come to Christ because he is satisfied with the law. So everybody under the law did not come to Christ. But everybody who understood that the law is holy and I am not able to keep the law, whatever wretched man I am, they were able to come to Christ. A lot of people are comfortable with their religion. They go to church on Sunday, they give their offering or subscription, whatever they want. They say prayers, they come back. What is that law? They don't come to Christ. 
They don't come to Christ. Because they are comfortable with their religion. The purpose of religion, any law in any religion is to bring us to the Savior. That's the purpose. If it doesn't bring us to Christ, because the purpose of the law is to make us miserable. And if the law doesn't make you miserable, instead makes you comfortable, you never come to Christ. Understand, all religions are forms of the law. In every religion there is the law. Most people find comfort in religion. If it doesn't provoke misery in one, it will not bring that one to Christ. When it does, it will lead sinners to Christ and grace will set them free. That is why God, Jesus said, all those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. Who are these very heavy laden? He said that? Did he say it? How many came to him? How many came to him? Hardly anybody. They were not weary of sin. They were weary of the consequences of sin. They are two different things. If consequences were taken off, they are absolutely okay with sin. Absolutely okay with sin. Those who are weary of sin are not looking at the consequences. They are looking at sin itself. God, this is not the way it should be. Let me ask you. Was David worried about the consequences of sin? He's fine. He's king. Nobody is saying anything. Nathan came. He said. Samuel also went to Saul. Saul's only thing was that it doesn't matter as long as people think outwardly I am fine, I am fine with it. You just stand by me. I'm okay. David's arms are not looking at the outward thing. He has no consequences. The kingdom is firmly in his grasp. All these women are in his custody. There is nobody pointing a single finger at him publicly except the prophet who has come to his bedroom. Saying you are the man. Nobody is. And if he wants, he has the power to tell prophet, you don't open your mouth or your head will be off your shoulders. You can go. He can say that. Many kings have done it. Nothing. The prophet has been sent to him by God because this man is miserable inside. That's the reason he went. There are no outward consequences at all. There's no consequences. She's pregnant. There's no judgment problem. proclaimed over the child, the child is not going to die. Nothing has been said. There is no consequences. Everything looks to be honky-dory, but he is miserable. Such a man can be saved. Such a man can be saved. That is the gospel. That's why Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. Repent! For the kingdom of God is here. And we change the gospel. Gospel loses its power. Gospel loses its power. That's why scripture says this is a righteousness that is from God. Faith unto faith unto faith. All the way. And then when you grow like that, your discernment also grows. Inside spiritually, you're growing in your discernment. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 15 says the spiritual man judges all, you know, 
First Corinthians chapter 2.15 The spiritual man judges all things. Yet himself, he himself is rightly judged by no one. Why? Everyone outside is carnal. They cannot judge the spiritual man because the spiritual man is judging everything in his life. He is not allowing the flesh. The carnal man cannot never rightly judge the spiritual man. Look at the spiritual man hanging on the cross in the middle. Can't any carnal man judge him rightly? Come down! Come down! You are the son of God. I am the son of God. That's why I'm hanging here. My flesh is dead. All sons of God hung hang on the cross. Can carnal men judge spiritual men? No, he said he cannot. He can never write. Yet the spiritual man is judging himself all the time. Why? Because he doesn't want his spirit, his flesh to manifest in any way. Whether he himself is rightly judged by no one. And their judgment doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter to him. The only judgment matters to him is what does God say? What do you say, Lord? What do you say? That's if you look at Jesus from the beginning when he starts making his first utterance be here. Son, how could you do this too? Right? How could you do this? The first utterance we hear from his his first utterance is, Mom, don't you know that I was at my father's work? Don't you know? First utterance. Second utterance, you should be baptizing me and not. Do what is right. You are a carnal man, judging a spiritual man, spiritual man telling carnal man, judge, baptize me because that is what? Righteousness will be fulfilled. You are making a wrong judgment, John. Just go ahead and baptize me. Son, they have run out of wine. Woman, my time has not come now. Look at him. Will any of these natural men or women able to understand what he is saying? We understand now because our spiritual eyes have been opened. But if you are living in his time, can anybody judge him? No. His brothers come and say in John chapter 7, if you want to be known, go to Jerusalem. He says, no. Your time is always, my time has not come. Will they understand? No. God says, don't worry. Because the fleshly man lives for and according to the opinion of men. The spiritual man is dead to that because his flesh is dead. It's dead. So understand. We are on a two-fold race. One is inside. One is outside. One is inside Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. We are running a race for which Christ Jesus picked hold of. Uh, not Romans, Philippians. Romans 3 is also good for another Bible study, but today it's Philippians. Not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He understood. Christ Jesus laid hold of me for a purpose. And I am pressing onwards for that purpose. And one thing that stands between me and that is my flesh. I am not allowing to allow it to manifest. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. He says, everybody, he's saying, I want you to have this mind. Christ Jesus took hold of you for a purpose. It's an upward call in Christ. It's not a downward or a horizontal. It is vertical. 
you have to keep growing. You have to keep growing, 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 meaning Christ grows, 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 and finally nothing of you is left. Don't forget. Forget all the things behind. Keep pressing towards the goal. That is the work he does inside. That's not alone. There is a work he does through you. That is what Ephesians 2.10 talks about. We are God's workmanship. While that upward God is working, we become his workmanship. We become his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beforehand. If God had just said prepared in Christ Jesus for good works, then you can choose what good work you want to do. But if it is written, God prepared beforehand, then I have to know and allow him to do it through me. I cannot do any good work. It is prepared beforehand. Like all of you will go home. Right? What are you having for dinner? Anything. Meaning you are going to cook. But if you already cooked and come, but you are going to have dinner, what you prepared? Beforehand. Beforehand. Not you. God prepared beforehand that our job is to walk in them. Walk in them. Two things. Work he does inside. Work he does through us. Why? Because there's something which you meet in ministry. You meet lots of good people who do good works and believe they are good. Makes no difference. You are saved because you believed. But after that, if you haven't done the works which God prepared for you, those what works you did is never counted. It's not counted. Only the works of Christ is counted. Only the life of Christ is counted. To both we are to aim. One is vertical, the other is horizontal. So Paul says, in the same Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example. Just join in following my example. I have died to myself that Christ should live. Then I have lived the life of Christ, allowing him to work through me. Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Let me ask you today, how many patterns do you have in today's Christendom? To people who say, I die to self, is Christ and not me. Do you have a pattern? How many names can you recollect? One Zakpunan? Criticized every day by the rest of Christendom? One Revizak? One Katakolan? How many names can you pick up who have set a pattern? Patterns. Why? Verse 18. Why it is that we do not have a pattern? Though we have millions of ministers, why don't we have a pattern? Because for many walk, for whom I have told you often and now tell you even with weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because they are enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. They will not die to their self-life. They will not. They are enemies of the cross. Therefore, there can be no pattern. Their pattern, they said, is the pattern of the flesh. Pattern of the flesh. 
ask any help person who says, I want to be in the ministry. You ask them, it's interesting, you should ask, talk to people. They come, Pastor, I have this call of God. And I ask, okay, who am I to doubt God's call on appeal? What is your pattern? You don't want to hear their answers. Pattern is all from the TV. That pattern. Not this pattern. Pattern. Because there are, there is the law, there is the works of the law, and we can get so comfortable like the Pharisee, because we don't realize what is available in Christ. But when we are miserable under the law, the very law should make us miserable. Because the very law did not just begin by saying, thou shalt not steal. It says, thou shalt not covet. That's why I said the nut and bolt, the tenth one is the most dangerous one. The tenth one is the most dangerous one. Because this tenth one is the most difficult to keep. Very difficult to keep. Why do you kill? Because you covet. Why do you commit adultery? Because you covet. Why do you steal? Because you covet. But how can I stop coveting? My flesh covets. Under the law, nobody could stop coveting. Let me ask you this question. What does Elijah say, depressed, running away from his highest point in his career, runs away sitting under the tree, what does he say? I am no better than? So you wanted to be better than your forefathers, right? That was your covetousness. You are not enough that you are accepted by God as you were. You wanted to be better than your forefathers. You could not escape covetousness, Elijah, under the law. Because the law had ordained it for you. You could never escape. You could not. Possible. Nobody. Possible. Possible. But when grace came, it's a different story. Grace came. Read, if you have doubt, the letter of Peter. Who was publicly castigated by Paul saying, what you are doing Peter is wrong. We are people of faith. We started under grace. Why are you going back to the law? He gives you the nine yards in public in the church in the book of Galatians. But you read the second letter of Peter where he says, our brethren Brother Paul writes with this great revelation which God has given, which people with unstable minds twist because they don't understand. Anything there? I understand. He has more revelation than me, though he started after me. Praise be to God. I am not running with him. He is not running with him. Both our flesh are dead. Glory to be God. Glory to be God. This is what a grace is. This is to what we are called. This is the possibility. First you have to understand possibilities before you will even start aiming for it. So understand what grace means. It's the most wonderful gospel you could ever hear of. Ever hear of. Never come short of the grace of God. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you. We just come to you. We just come to you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. Oh Lord, we just worship you. I just give you glory. I just give you honor. I just give you praise. This is all about you, Lord. As a church, we just want to be everything you want us to be.
we don't want to compare we just don't want to be compared we just want to be blind and deaf as it is written about you in the book of isaiah lord my servant blind to the opinions of others deaf to the opinions of others a lie to what god says it's the only thing that matters lord yet not judging not condemning others who are struggling that the grace of god will work through us to lift them up also because we are all on the same road to salvation thank you father thank you you brought us safely we believe lord you will reach us safely we just surrender everything even tomorrow's wedding into thy hands lord may your hand be there upon them the couple all that is happening there tomorrow lord thank you father thank you in jesus name we pray amen